0: My name is Bill Snell. I used to be a uh, pastor here on staff uh, seven years ago until I was called to um, run an organization called Missionary Ventures International, and um, Missionary Ventures is a uh, a missionary organization as you might pick up, and we're involved in over 100 countries uh, with missionaries and with outreaches and uh, uh, a lot of wonderful things happening throughout the world and you, Grace Church, are a partner with us uh, financially and prayer and relationship-wise and so forth. And so um, what I get to share is a part of your story too as well. I have some pictures i want to show you. And uh, this, uh, I had a trip to Nepal, a two-week trip. Uh, We have given um, a number of, uh, by the way, there's in the upper part above the clouds, one of those mountains is Mount Everest. I just don't know which one it is. Uh, but uh, uh, that was a pretty neat landscape scene there, and I captured what I could with my, with my phone. Go to the next slide. This is uh, it's me standing with a, a, a number of motorcycles. We've given uh, 90 motorcycles in about the last t- uh, two decades to pastors and leaders there that couldn't afford to buy transportation of their own. And so this was a gathering of a number of pastors. The middle fellow with the beard, that's John Ogden. He's head of the Christian Motorcycles Association, uh, to his uh, right is Glenn Dubois, and uh, Glenn was the former president of Missionary Ventures. And then you see myself there. So we had a great time together. Next slide. Here's a group of kids uh, that uh, uh, we, uh, one of the uh, mission organizations that we're working with there, provides free schooling. These all all these kids are live in a village of untouchables. Uh, the caste system, by the way, is still in place, even though it was outlawed in 1967. The untouchables are still untouchable. They have no identity, they have no paperwork, they have, uh, they have no voting rights, they have no access to government assistance, they've got nothing. And uh, so these, providing these things for the kids is amazing. This is just a precious lady who's one of the, her child was there at the, uh, at the place. Now, you see the guy to, the, uh, to your right? Uh, looks like he's got white lips. You see what I'm looking, what, you're, what I'm pointing to? Well, he just started brushing his teeth when we came walking up, so this is—he's not, not foaming at the mouth or anything of that sort. <laughs> he's just—he just got toothpaste all over himself, uh, praying with one of the fellows. This is just the uh, just a village of people. These are all Hindus, by the way, and uh, they're very welcoming when we just come and pray and and uh, making Jesus evident. One of the villages there. Keep going. Precious little gal, isn't she cute? Uh, here's an example of a couple of the motorcycles that we give. One is a Himalayan, um, what do they call that? Uh, oh, gosh, I don't remember. Infield, Royal Infield, And the other is an uh, Indian-built motorcycle that's behind it. Keep going. This fellow came up after we'd had that uh, uh, meeting in the village and we were just sharing and testi- testifying and giving out some supplies and all. And this fellow had heard that... Uh, People from the west had come, and he had rushed to get over there. But we had already left by the time he got there. So he found out where we were. He comes up, and uh, this this fella, just gives his life to Christ, and uh, it was just amazing breakthrough. and uh, And, and is attending church regularly. I hear good reports about that. So that was fun. Uh, here's some girls that uh, of the Untouchable Village, that have been given access to. Uh, a children's home. The parents have agreed to this. So the, the girls are being raised and educated and uh, something they would never have in the village. Uh, don't, don't pay any attention to the please don't take photos. That's, that sign there, <laughs> don't pay attention to that. This is a classic example of a, of a village in Nepal with the, with the animals living right there among the people. Uh, one of the churches uh that's that's the pastor there in the middle he looked at lots and lots of young young people and uh, these pastors have been have been saved they've they've come to christ in in these villages and so they continue to serve there and it's just amazing work that's happening there here's just an example of a river coming out of the himalayas pretty place baptisms occurred while we were there we were part of that i think we had eight that were baptized and uh, this was the, uh, the, the crowning aspect of the trip for me. This is a leper colony. And uh, if you look closely, if you're able to see, you can see that there's quite a bit of disfiguration uh, from the disease of leprosy that they had and now have been cured of that, uh, but scarred for life as, as many were there. And they were the most gracious, loving, embracing people. The people you would you think would be cautious or removed or, or feeling self-pity, not at all. Just filled with joy and life and, oh, it was so much fun. And by the way, if we, I was telling Tammy, if we ever had any um, internet or phone issues, there's, there's kind of a reason why some of that was happening. See all, all the wires, that's in Kathmandu. Okay, now, this is a, a, a motorcycle trip that I just, it was a 3,000-mile motorcycle trip I just got back from here domestically. And uh, we traveled from Oklahoma into New Mexico, four places in New Mexico, into the far west Texas, and then back to Oklahoma. And we attended two motorcycle rallies and uh, uh, just had a great, great time. And this is just a couple weeks ago. You can see all the snow up in the high mountains of uh, New Mexico. Boy, it's a handsome dude. I just can't get over that. (laughs) And some pretty areas. Anybody here like riding motorcycles? Yeah, isn't that neat? There we go. All right. Well, the uh, the motorcycle I borrowed was a uh, for those who understand motors. No motorcycles. It was a uh, a BMW GS, which is the adventure bike. And the adventure bike stands taller than the than the Harleys and Indians and things like that, which are. You know, big motors and barker loungers, you know, driving down the highway. And uh, I, I tend to like the, being a little bit more tall. I like, the, I like the adventure bikes and much more set up and taller and can do off road things of that sort. So that's what I got to ride. Amen. Well, I have looked forward to, uh, to ministering the word to you for a, a number of weeks, knowing that this was going to be my time. And uh, I'd like to direct your attention to Acts chapter 1, verse 8, if you would. Acts 1-8. Now, the setting here is is the Mount of Ascension, which is also known as Mount Olivet or Mount of Olives. It's the same mountain where Jesus had been betrayed. In this time, in this occasion, Jesus has called his disciples to him, and this is now after his crucifixion and 40 days after his resurrection, and he's about to ascend into glory. And uh, so he's leaving his final comments to the disciples before he lifts off. And um, so uh, it was in this occasion that Jesus says uh, there in Acts 1.8, he says to, to the disciples. By the way, in Matthew 28, when you look at that, you'd find out that there's two groupings of disciples, and it identifies them as those who are worshiping and those who are doubting. And it was both groups Both the personality or or, or people of of different experiences coming together, uh, doubting for whatever reason, worshiping for whatever reason, but what Jesus spoke was to both sets of people, both the doubting and the worshiping. You see what he has to say here. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem, in Judea, Samaria, even to the remotest part of the earth. Um, a question I was asking myself when I was reading this the other day, not planning on speaking about it, just kind of in the Word, and, and this came to my attention again, and I, I asked myself this, this question, and, and now I ask it to you. What is there about this pronouncement of Jesus concerning power that we do not understand? I believe if we understood it, we'd live in it you shall receive power after the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Now, this is in preparation for the event of Pentecost where the Holy Spirit would be poured out, and, and Jesus as, and Jesus would have been glorified and, and the Holy Spirit was, would be poured out. So the Holy Spirit has been given. He has been poured out. But Jesus said to them, because they hadn't experienced the presence of the Holy Spirit yet, when He comes upon you, He's going to give you power and power to be my witnesses he says now there's some notable people that have spoken into this question that i was posing myself and uh, i'm going to read them to you one is from watchman Nee. watchman Nee was a chinese pastor a celebrated chinese pastor in the early 1900s passed away in 1972 uh, he was a writer a church planter and he was persecuted for his faith and the last 20 years of his life was spent in a Chinese prison because of his preaching about Jesus. And in his book, Changed into His Likeness, which I highly recommend, Changed into His Likeness, Watchman Nee says this. He says, we are called of God to maintain the sovereign rule of God's power on the earth. Believers know individual salvation, but they don't know the government of God. We cannot separate our identity, our inheritance, from God's power. Jesus promised that power would come. My question again is, where is it? And why aren't we living in it? Right? Thomas Guthrie was a probably the most respected Scottish preacher in the 1800s, also a philanthropist. Thomas Guthrie says this, he says, it is impossible to estimate the power that lies latent within our churches. We talk of the power latent in steam, latent till Watt evoked its spirit from the waters and set the giant to turn the iron arms of machinery. We talk of the power that was latent in the skies till science climbed their heights and seizing the spirit of the thunder chained it into our service. Abolishing distance, outstripping the wings of time, and flashing our thoughts across rolling seas to distant continents. Yet, what are these to the power that lies asleep in the congregations of our country and of the Christian world? And why latent, he says. He answers because men and women neither appreciate their individual influence nor estimate or write their own individual responsibilities. What he's drawing attention to is that the church is ignorant in a loving way and we're speaking to ourselves the church is ignorant by and large concerning this promise of power otherwise things would look different Amen? amen it would look different in your life it would look different in mine and it would definitely look different in our country what a sad state of affairs we see right now and the church in whom that has been endued with power from on high sits on the sidelines and either watches with dismay, frustration, shock, but doesn't know what to do. Let's see if we can fix that. Let's see if we can change that based upon what we'll discover a little bit more today. And I guess perhaps my most favorite quote is from Gandalf to Bilbo (laughs) Baggins, that great philosopher, theologian, Gandalf. Uh, From The Hobbit, uh, uh, J.R.R. Tolkien, Uh, Here, Gandalf, the fabled wizard and leader of the Fellowship of the Ring, he says to Bilbo Baggins in the opening scene, he says, can can you see him standing like a giant, right? Little Bilbo Baggins down there. And you can see him looking to the side with his eyebrow raised. You got the picture of Gandalf, if you've seen this? So he's looking at him, and he's wondering what kind of response he's going to get from Bilbo. And he says this to him. He says, I'm looking for someone to share in an adventure that I'm arranging. And it's difficult to find anyone. And I think about that and I associate it with the luring of the Holy Spirit to each and every one of us. Boy, do I have an adventure for you. Do I even have your curiosity? Will you pay attention? Will Will you open yourself up to something new and something different? Now, if... If we are like Bilbo Baggins, we'll look for every other way not to go on the adventure. Uh He he lived in the Shire. He wanted things to stay just the way we are. It was peaceful and calm. He did not know what was mounting in the distance that would soon affect even the Shire. He didn't know that. He was oblivious to it. Things were fine. He didn't want any danger. He didn't want any adventure. He wanted things to stay just the way they were. He was happy just the way it was. But Gandalf comes into his life and says, hmm, I've got something that I think you might be interested in Uh, Will you think about it, Will you pray about it. I believe that's what the Holy Spirit is doing to every single one of us. It's like deep calling unto deep. The Holy Spirit is calling us out of complacency, out of futility and frustration into The reality of the kingdom of God that is full and in place but lying dormant or latent as Guffey would say in the church. You know, newfound life, when a believer comes to Christ, that life begins with an identity that has been regenerated by the presence and life of the Spirit. The work of the Spirit, this indwelling work of the Spirit is transformative and it is based upon the incarnation, based upon the crucifixion, based upon the resurrection, based upon the glorification of our our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And the Holy Spirit, based upon the finished work of Christ, dwells within us to bring about that reality so that we don't just have to think about it and teach about it, we do it. We get to live in that reality. Amen. Now, that sounds like an adventure because I know we haven't even tu- I haven't even touched the hem of his garment regarding all that he has in mind. Now, I kind of think the Holy Spirit takes on a, a Gandalf with a raised eyebrow and curiosity and peeking to the side. Are, do, we ha- do I have your interest? Are you willing to consider something that you're not walking in right now? And resident within every believer... The indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit creates this perfect union between humanity and divinity, and the Holy Spirit is far more than just a mere agency of salvation, and the guarantor of eternal life, What the Word shows us and teaches us, He actually abides within our being, and He is there to equip, He's there to empower, He's there to teach, to convince, to transform, and to bring us into a fully living Fully functioning, fully capable child of the king with rights and privileges pertaining thereto. That's what the Holy Spirit is there to do. But he's not there to take over and demand allegiance and uh, and to cause you to be whipped into shape. That is not our God, and that is not the Holy Spirit. He woos you, draws you captures your attention allows you to take your own way and even uses the painful aspects of your own way to redirect and to point you into something fresh and new isn't it amazing how wonderful god is and so much of religion points to him and says now if you're making your own way and that way is poor or or detrimental to you and to others then god crosses his arms raises an eyebrow, but that eyebrow is one of, dis, of disdain and anger and, um, and removes himself. That's what religion has a tendency to paint the Father as. Uh, we don't think of Jesus like that, but then the Holy Spirit is associated to the Godhead in a, in a dynamic way, of course, and so we associate the Holy Spirit as one who's constantly demanding that we repent and is constantly showing us sin and constantly doing this, that, and the other. Well, I'm sure there's some aspect of that. But primarily, he's presenting us to Christ, helping us to see him and what he's accomplished because our identity is in him. And if we can see ourselves righteous, holy, and set apart because of what Christ has done, we might have an opportunity to live in that reality. But if it's left up to me to try to produce that, I'll never get there, nor will you. And so the altar fills up Sunday after Sunday after Sunday with a good, well presented message of repentance. And people will come because they'll feel sorry and feel bad about what they've done and how they've conducted themselves. And so they, they have some semblance of, of connection with God, thank goodness. Only start the next week without power. Start the next week with, with an identity still set in performance based thinking rather than Jesus-based reality, and so we're not spirit-led, we're religion-led, we're performance-led, not spirit-led, and therein is why power is latent in the church. Until she knows who she is, she's going to continue acting like she is, and most of that acting is just coming to church on Sunday and enjoying the smoke on the stage and and well-groomed singers and hopefully somebody that can speak fairly well, and that's what we've reduced church to. We don't have to worry about what God has in mind because we have the bulletin. Who needs God if you have your bulletin? We already know what's going to happen, right? Yeah. I hope you're enjoying this because it's, <laughs> it's, this is us talking to ourselves, right? Let's, let's, let's admit that church can be far more than what it is, and this is far better than the vast majority of churches across the country, but it can be far more than this, dear friends. Back to our text, Acts 1-8, there on the Mount of Ascension, Jesus said to the assembling disciples, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Well, there's much we don't know about the presence and fullness of the Holy Spirit. Denominations seem to make claim on the fact that they know, you know. Some say that what the apostles and the first century believers experienced with the Spirit is no longer valid, that once the church was established and various experiences and gifts had their place and is therefore no longer applicable that the gifts are passed away and that the, the, uh, the miraculous aspects we should not expect anymore. my thought is, well, if that was needed to establish the church, don't you think it's needed to continue the church? Where does that thinking come from? not from the Spirit, I would say. The next group uh, thinks quite differently about it, of course, and they look to one or more signaled gifts of the Spirit, and so they would say, now, this is how the Spirit is to be received, this is what He shows when He's, he's been received, and if you don't receive this or act like this, then you haven't received the fullness of the Spirit, and it's even possible that you're not even saved. That's the other side of ridiculous religious thinking. The Holy Spirit, by the way, is a person, not a thing, and not some ethereal doctrine. In my, in my upbringing, uh, Baptist, and in my training, uh, theologically. I was never taught this, but for some reason it was in my mind that the Trinity was God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Scriptures. I never would have said that out loud because I wouldn't, I wouldn't have agreed with that, but that's, that was how I thought. I had no association. I certainly had no personal relationship with the person of the Spirit. And anything that I heard about the Spirit, it really sounded weird and wacky because that belonged in other camps. And I had turned my heart and mind away. That No, thank you. I don't want to be like that. I don't want to act like that. And, and uh, so, you know, I, I had this disposition against, against the person of the Holy Spirit because of people. Until I would, my desperation overcame my theological objections. When I discovered... Experientially, that the person of the Holy Spirit is someone who loves me, and he is just as much God as Father is and Jesus is. He is no less, he is not third string of the Trinity. He is God, and he dwells in me to bring me to an an awareness of Christ at a deeper level. He brings me to understand the Father and his ways. He brings to me the abilities to, to live out the Christian life because on my own I'm incapable. He empowers me, he anoints me, he teaches me, he comforts me, and oh, how many times I've needed that. This is a wonderful aspect of God because he is God and he dwells within each and every believer. And when I began to discover that, I didn't care whether or not my my denomination uh, thought differently. There were some that didn't think just like I had been taught, but when I discovered him, I fell in love with him. It's just like when you're not saved and when you discover Jesus, you fall in love with him. Oh, my goodness, why have I been stiff-arming the whole concept of Christ? I discovered he's lovely. He's wonderful. He is real. He's dynamic. He's sacrificing. He gives himself. So is the Holy Spirit. So is the Father. Amen? Amen? We have a wonderful God. You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. There's some things we know about this first thing we know is that when the disciples were gathering and they were coming, the reason why Jesus says, you shall receive power is because they had no power. They didn't have any, not divine power. By the way, nor do we, nor do we. We don't have the human unction that matches divine unction. We're, We're not birthed with anointing. We become anointed. We become called. We become equipped. And so, they had no power. They needed power. Doing our best for the master doesn't impress God much, certainly doesn't accomplish anything of lasting effect. God isn't pleased by works of religion or works of the flesh. You'll see that in Romans 8.8, 8. I'll tell you what does please him. What does please him is our belief. What does please him is our trust. What does please him is our, our, our obedience, our heart to obey. What does please him is our worship and our love for one another. That's what pleases him because he's a relational father. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> Good timing for that. In Hebrews eleven six, the word says, nothing pleases God apart from faith. And so... Human performance is not what God is after. He wants relationship. He wants partnership. He wants our connecting with him. He wants, our, he wants us to become sensitized to how his kingdom operates and to how he thinks. And if we'll take the time, he'll show us. The second thing is, first one is, the first point was they had no power of their own. Second is, now within every believer, there is power. That has been given. It's the same power that raised Jesus from the dead, by the way. It's the same power that heals the sick, casts out demons, and forgives those who have labored for your own destruction. That's miraculous if you're able to do that. It's power. We're talking about the same power that Jesus wielded. But it begs the question, if that is the power that we have, then why do Christians behave in such a manner that gives lesser powers dominion over our lives? Why do, why we, why do we fall into the traps of addiction? Why do I get locked up in just fleshly thinking? Why do, why do I pursue things that in the end really don't matter? Why am I owned by so many things of the world when inside me dwells the richness of the Godhead and full demonstration of His power that raised Jesus from the dead and I'm just acting as if it's not there at all? Divine power is resonant within the believer. You can refer to Galatians 5 and 2 Corinthians 12 if you want to look at some of those lesser powers that are worldly, they're fallen, they're lustful, they're demonic, they're perverted, and they're very real, and they will own you, Christian, if you let it. What I mean by own you, they'll make you bow your knee. That's what they'll do. That's what's happening in our political scene. That's what's happening in the woke culture. That's what's happening. You will bow your knee or, right? Right? All right. Divine power is the birthright for every believer, so this divine, divine power resonant within you is your birthright. It is God Himself through His Holy Spirit residing within you, and with Him there is power. You know the song, power, wonder, working power through the precious blood of the Lamb. But I want you to know that within this second point, that that power that is within does not equate to power released. That's what Thomas Guthrie was saying about latent power. It didn't wasn't denying that there was power, he's just saying it's latent, it's not operational. Just because you have it doesn't mean you're living in it or that it's flowing through you. So, what do we do about that? What, what are we called to do? Well, I'll talk a little bit about that as I get, get close to our closing. Not there yet, but close. My third point is that we need to recognize that the fullness of the Spirit in our lives experientially serves serves to launch us into places of divine consequence. Uh, You're not your own. You have more influence than you think you do. More people are watching you than you think are watching. And more than that, you can generate some influence just simply by conducting the affairs of your life in in a godly manner. Business in an honorable, honorable way, raising your family, loving your wife, loving your children, praying for your grandchildren, servant evangelism, just doing things because people are valuable enough that it's just good to serve them, loving people to Christ. I mean, there's so many things that seem to be relaxed and so forth, but they're dynamic when associated to to the leadership of the Holy Spirit. Jesus says, you shall be my witnesses, but power must be given and that power has been given because the Holy Spirit has come. You are my witnesses in Isaiah 43, 10. He was speaking to the entire, he's speaking to the leaders and prophets of Israel, but he's also addressing the entire nation of Israelites. They were to be witnesses to all the world of the mighty acts of God for them. Witnesses. The Greek word there specifically means eyewitnesses. You have had a personal encounter with that which you are testifying about. Now, you and I have not had an eyewitness relationship with Jesus. Uh, maybe you've had dreams or visions or things of that sort. But our eyewitness account is, generates a, a credential in our lives because we have personally experienced his life. We have been transformed. I don't don't think the way I used to think. I don't conduct the affairs of my life the way I used to. I'm changed. I'm a changed man. And I begin to testify of the one who's responsible to change me, and that being Jesus. I become a testifier of something that I have experienced, and people can't argue against that. They might argue the results. They might think something different about what you have to say, but they can't argue the fact that you have had an experience with Christ himself. Eyewitnesses. You shall be my witnesses. All right, so did you know that being filled with the Spirit by the way, the birthright, your birthright is that when you're saved, the Holy Spirit is the one who, who accomplishes that. He, he moves in and regenerates your life. I know we say asking Jesus into our hearts, but it's literally the Spirit of God that does that transformative work from what Jesus has accomplished. All right? So he lives within you, but there are what the Word talks about, fillings. Some say baptism, fillings of the Spirit. Paul, the apostle Paul says, don't, don't get drunk. That's, that's dissipation. It means it's just a waste of time. It's a waste of time. It's a waste of lots of things. It's destructive in many ways if you're getting drunk. He says, but continually be being filled with the Spirit. Continually be being filled filled with the Spirit. So it's not just a one-time encounter and you're good. No, no, no. This is an in-depth, in, a intimate relationship with the Holy Spirit. There are many fillings, many encounters with the Spirit of God that refreshes your ability to see things from a spiritual, matter, a spiritual way. Helps you to comprehend kingdom reality. God's doing things. What is He doing? Well, today you might see that, tomorrow you might not. Chances are you won't. It is the Spirit of God and His fullness that captures my attention and draws me into the things of God. And over and over and over again, I'm given the opportunity to experience His fullness. So the question I have to ask is, when was the last time you had that? And chances are it's been a while. But He he won't let up. It's not because He wants you to do something. He wants you to experience Him. And when you experience Him, things change and power begins to be released in your life. Because it's not just you trying to please God. You know you're pleasing and all of a sudden you're coming into this precious, wonderful relationship that, of the Spirit abiding in you and things begin to change and you you're, this outer shell begins to have some fractures and that power within that has been latent now has opportunities to flow. That's the reason why brokenness is beautiful for the believer. Painful, but beautiful. Breaks that outer shell, breaks that outer man so that the inner man begins to live forward. Right? Yeah. There's so much that God is doing And so, here's the pattern of of receiving the fullness of the Spirit. Very quick and easy, and this is my, uh, I'm moving to a close now. You will always see that from a human standpoint, there is the aspect of waiting. Jesus told them now, I want you to go back to Jerusalem, I want you to wait. But the reason why they were to do that, because there was, the Holy Spirit had not yet been given, and there was a time set in which He would be given. The Holy Spirit now has been given, but there's this discipline, this this necessity of humanity waiting on God, choosing to quiet ourselves and wait. He's saying something, but I'm not hearing him. He's doing something, but I don't know what it is. I'm convinced of it. And the Spirit begins to pull us toward Himself, and there is that waiting, and there's that developed sensitivity that that He's accomplishing. I'm becoming more sensitive, more alert, more pliable. Waiting, with spiritual sensitivity. And in that, I, I, I develop sense of receiving takes place in me, and in you. I'm waiting, because I'm preparing myself to receive His fullness. Lord, I've, I've kind of got into a rut. I've been thinking this way or that, and that uh, things don't seem to be changing. Frustrated. I don't, feel like I'm a little I'm dry. I feel like I'm distant. I know, I know that's not true, but I feel that way, and I don't, I don't know how to correct it. And, and so we, we look to behavioral-type things, thinking that's going to be the solution, but it isn't. It's waiting with a heart to receive. Lord, I just, I just want to receive. He's already been given. We just need to learn how to receive him Frequently. Frequently, Lord, I, I receive you and your fullness. I receive the way you see things. I receive what you want me to do. I, I receive your direction in my life. I receive you in this business decision. I, Lord, I want to receive you because you know what I don't know. And lastly, if you're going to have a heart to receive, you're going to have a heart to obey. Whatever his leadership is, you've already made up your mind. That's what I'm going to do. And over and over and over again, God does not frustrate. He moves in. And the refreshing reality of his presence steps in. And I'm changed again. I'm transformed again. My mind becomes renewed. Things begin to get cleared up. The pain and agony of whatever decisions I've made or others made for me begins to wash away. And I begin to see that God's in control. And the power he's given to me will help me, will enable me, will assure the fact that I'm not not only going to survive this predicament, but I'm going to prosper through it. I'm going to... I'm not a loser. I'm victorious in Christ. And what he has accomplished and what he said and what he has promised will make itself known. And the Holy Spirit will help you get from here to there. It's sweet and it's precious. And we need to be filled with the spirit of fresh and anew. Amen? Amen. Bow your heads with me, please. I just, just want you to just take just a few moments just to dwell in his presence. Move everything out of your mind except for When I say him, your concentration on the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, just just dwell in his presence and thank him for being present in your life. Thank you for his transformative power. Thank you that he is far more than you have experienced. Thank him that he loves you more than you can possibly imagine. Thank him that he has leadership for you. Thank him that he's got a way through this. Thank him that that wayward daughter or son is going to have a way out. Thank him. Thank him for giving power to be effective witnesses in the world. And then just learn just just choose to receive. Lord, I receive you. I receive you by faith. My feelings are not what I'm looking to. I'm looking to truth, and by truth, I'm receiving you in your fullness right now. And whatever you say and whatever you'll do, I'll comply lovingly, willingly, excitedly. The adventure you ask me to go on, count me in, Lord, count me in. Others might fall to the wayside, but not me, Lord. Not, at least not that I can tell, not that I want to, Count on me. I want to join you. I believe these are the most important days of our lives. Receiving the fullness of the Spirit is our birthright, and it will change the course and destiny of how we live our lives and will affect culture around us. So Holy Spirit, we honor you. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for the finished work of salvation, the finished work of redemption, the finished work of forgiveness, the finished work of death, the finished work of resurrection. Lord, nothing else can be added to what you have done. You have done it completely and perfectly and granted to us as a free gift because by grace, through faith, we're saved. And Holy Spirit, you have moved into everyone who has trusted Jesus as Lord and Savior. And there you are. Here you are, abiding within. We want to release you, Lord, to change the world around us, change us individually, change our family, change our predicament if you see fit. But Lord, change us so that we can change the world for Christ and refuse the enemy's tactics and stand guard and produce and live out the kingdom of God in power and authority. We pray these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen.